the sign said, Black Lives Matter. And I thought, I want to make a sign. Just be real simple. Which ones don't? No racism, no color. Don't even use the word lives. Just which ones don't? Make it viral. Come on, Kevin, you can do it. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, digital army. Which lives don't, or which ones don't? How many of you know all lives matter? Amen. Let's open our Bible to Second Kings chapter 2. But I also think it, it, the, sad, the sadness in, that hits me when we as the church sometime have become blind by our assumptions. <clears throat> you see, everyone probably within the sound of my voice right now understands that God so loved the world, so all lives matter. But the world doesn't know that. And they, they actually think there's selectivity and selection and race class and all these things that rule their world and rule their life, and they live accordingly. So to them, there is the ability to segment the value of a human life. For you and I, we can't do it. it, it it's not in our DNA. Uh, and so when the world looks at us, they can't understand what we see. And they can't understand why we don't agree with them. You know, maybe a better sign would be, yes, Black Lives Matters and dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I don't know. Glory to God. It'd be really fun would be to take a rainbow, because we know who stole that, and just say all lives matter on a rainbow. Yeah. That'll really freak them out, because they couldn't attack it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't complicate it. <laughs> I'm so far off my subject already. Glory to God. Let's look in 2 Kings. Chapter 2, verse 8. I know, I think I preached this before in a landmark, but we're going to preach it again. And Elijah took his mantle, and he wrapped it together, and he smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too be Elijah and his assistant Elisha, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, it's interesting, the young man didn't think this up. It was, it was directed to him. Ask what I will do for you. Before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said. I pray thee let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now we won't take the time. But if you look in Deuteronomy. 21. I think it's verse 15, 16, 17, 18. Somewhere. It's Deuteronomy 21. If you look there you'll find that the law of the firstborn. Is clearly laid out. And Elisha wasn't asking for something off the top of his head. 
he was asking for scripture to be fulfilled. He based his request on scripture. He, he, he wasn't Elijah's natural progeny. He wasn't his natural son. But what he is saying is, I've served you as a son with a father. Don't see anybody else around here. I'm, I'm asking for the double portion. I should get a double portion because of the law of the firstborn. So Elisha was, was saying, my father, my father. That's what he's saying. He's calling, he's calling him father. And Elisha, or Elijah says, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, when I am taken from you, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. There's some things here in the Hebrew in verse 10, again off the subject, that you'll find if you, if you, if you meditate on it and study it, you'll find it echoed in the words of Jesus when he began a dialogue with his disciples that I'm going to be taken from you and you're going to be alone, but you're not going to be alone. Because I've asked the Lord for another comforter to come, even the spirit of truth. And Elijah here is a foreshadow of so many Messianic principles. And when Elijah told his disciple, it's a hard thing you've asked, he put it back on the disciple to fulfill it. The qualification rested not on Elijah, but on Elisha. So the gift didn't come, I guess you could say, free. The gift came with a, a precondition. Someone said that to me yesterday, that promises always come with conditions. Was that you, Larry? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Explain, come here. That's an important principle for these folks to catch. If, if you don't mind me prying, because I know that was a private, personal moment. You were, you were sitting on the deck watching the beautiful sunrise or sunset. Wasn't thinking about it. And come, on, come over here. Give me, just share that real quick, because that's... By the way, this is Larry. Hello. Yeah, I was sharing in 2017, one morning early, I was sitting out on the balcony and just admiring the creation of God and His awesomeness, and just out of the blue, these words came to my spirit, I'm going to give you another 30 years. I'm like, where did that come from? It's like, Glory to God. And I said, God, the last 30 have been so awesome. I know the next 30 would even be greater and more awesome. Thank you so much. I'll be 87. And then I was just rejoicing. In now, this is the Spirit of the Lord. That's not life when he said 30. That's ministry. So you're not going to live to be 87 and die. You're going to minister to 87. Amen. Hallelujah. Just, that's the Spirit of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. I'll take it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And about 20 minutes passed, I got up out of my chair, and just as I stepped into the house, these words came to me. With every promise, there's hey! conditions. 
Glory to God. And the reason I know that, ha, I was asking the Lord, how come you'd have me do that to you and tell you that? Because it's your promise, not mine, is I'm going to be ministering right there with you. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm going to be there when you're 87. Go on, go on. Hallelujah. Write it down. Amen. Glory to down. Jesus. That's on record, isn't it? Amen. Yes. If you're recording this, right? Um, and just glory to God. The Lord says, every promise has conditions. And he said to me, I'm giving two conditions to you. Number one, he said, you've got to take care of your physical body. And then number two, he said, you got to stay on track with me. Don't get distracted. You stay on track with me. You follow me. You you obey my voice. Amen. Amen. Boy, I'm glad I asked you up, brother. Glory to God. I'm telling you, I'm going to be there right there. You're going to be 87. I don't know how old I'll be. That's 30 years. I'll be 76. Hmm? I'll be 86. Yeah, but I'm going to be saying I'm 76. <laughs> I'm going to be there. You know, that's going to be a hoot. That's going to be a hoot because I'm going to be 86. And I'm gonna be 80, you're going to be 87. I'm going to say, hey, Larry, do you remember? Do you remember? Woo! You know, back in the old days. Yeah. Glory to God. Mm. So verse 10. If you see me, when I'm taken from you, it shall be so unto you. There is so much connected to what you can see. You have to be able to see the, the move of God, the patterns of God. You have to be able to see what's possible. That's why examples are so powerful. I've often told the story of Gene Olin asking me, because I had a car and he didn't. The reason people, you know, no, no, not a lot of people ask me why. They say, well, why didn't Gene have a car? Because if he had it, in about three days, he'd have given it away. <laughs> I remember one time Bob gave him his best suit. And, I, and, I, and I, I ran to Bob when I heard that Bob had given Gene his best suit. And I ran to him and said, what did you do that for? I said, don't you know it's going to be on a homeless bum in some back alley by tomorrow night? <laughs> That's just Gene. He, he just gonna, and I'm not taking it away from him. I'm commending him. But he didn't have a car, and he asked me, can I, can I drive him to the Pittsburgh bus station? Not the airport, the bus station. Now, it was about a two-hour drive, and I don't know if you've ever been to Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh is very complicated city to drive in it's just confusing and it's the spider web of streets that are 200 years old there was no city planning you know they just did what they could and they got a, they got streets and i'm getting in uh, to the edge of the city and i have no idea where the bus station is i've never been there and i'm only like 18 years old anyway i don't even i doubt i'd ever driven in pittsburgh probably hadn't and I turned to Gene, and I asked him, uh, you know, where do we go? Do you know where it is? And he said, no, I don't, I don't know where it is. I said, well, 
will stop at the next gas station and ask for directions. And the look he gave me made me feel like an insignificant insect. I, I, I mean, I cannot even repeat the look he gave me of tusked, complete disbelief and horror that that would come out of my mouth. And he said, we can pray. And I, and I, I just was not expecting that as an answer on where's the bus station. <laughs> we can pray? And I'm like driving, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can pray. Uh-huh. Pray. <laughs> I didn't know you could pray. I'd never seen anybody do it. And he went off in tongues. And I'm like, I guess I can. I know how to pray in tongues. I just didn't know you could pray in tongues and find bus stops. <laughs> I had never seen it. And to this day, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't seen it. I had to see it. But what can you do? You can't deny the reality. I was with him. It sure wasn't me. But he was praying in tongues, and we'd come, and he'd say, get off here. I'd get off there. Come to a light. He'd say, turn left. I went left one time. He said, nope, nope, wrong way. Turn around, turn around. It's the other way. And we corrected that, went the other way, and drove right to the bus stop without any problem. And I'm like in shock. I can't believe what I had just seen. And of course, you know, the other side to the story, which before I never told anybody, but then I got honest with myself. The other side of the story is after he got out and got on the bus, I couldn't get out of Pittsburgh. I mean, I got, I got so lost in Pittsburgh, I couldn't get out. And I'm thinking, that guy's, that guy's amazing. He prayed in tongues, and he got where he was going. And... I saw it. There are things. You, it's the power of a testimony. I think it was Smith Wigglesworth taught this. Testimonies don't build faith. They build a capacity for faith. See, because what it does is it enlarges your vision of what's possible. But you still, are, you still have to build your faith up and fill that picture. Because just because you saw it doesn't mean you can do it. But you, you have no doubt that it is possible. So, so it builds your capacity for faith. So when I saw that, well, now I'm kind of I'm kind of like uh, almost responsible to live up to it. At least I want to, and that's a big part of it too. You got to desire spiritual gifts. I mean, I saw that and it made me hungry. It didn't make me scared and run away. And it, but but yet, I also understood there's a principle. Of necessity. You don't play with the gifts of God. Peter, Peter didn't go running out on the, on, the, on, the, on the water the next day to see if he could still do it. That's right. You know what I'm... Are, are you following me? He, you don't play with the gifts of the Spirit. There's a, there's, a, there's a point of necessity. And there's something about necessity that calls your heart to, to rise up to the occasion. I mean, I know for me, the greatest example in my life was when I fell on the ice in Siberia and broke my arm. And, uh, I mean, the guy standing next to me heard it snap. 
And uh, it looked like Zorro had rolled by and did a Z on my arm. And I'm holding it. And man, it hurt. And the other pastors came. And everybody's praying in tongues with authority. And the first thought went through my mind. I don't want to go to a Russian hospital. I'm serious. In the midst of all this pain and panic, that was the first thought in my mind. I need a miracle because otherwise those guys are going to mess it up. And that necessity just, just drove me to take my left hand and snap my arm out and, and I was healed. And I preached that night. I got a photo of me holding the microphone with that right hand. Now, it still hurt for several days, and it got all black and blue, but it was healed. Still healed today. I've got full mobility in that. Necessity is an issue. You don't play with these things. And, when I, and, I, and I know with Gene, I know Gene well enough now that when I said, we'll stop and get directions, and he gave me that look of condescension, he wasn't playing. He just got to a point where... Now he had to depend on God. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to depend on man. We're not going to depend on the arm of the flesh. And it was years later. I don't remember how many. I could probably calculate it, but probably, probably six or seven years later. And the Lord told me to drive to Virginia Beach to go to a missions conference. And he, and he told me like in the afternoon, I had to leave at like midnight. And it was one of those times where I had to spring it on my wife at dinner and, and then deal with being a bad husband who can't communicate and it's like I'm sorry honey God just told me an hour ago you know and I packed the car and I left at midnight and I got got driving through the night and I got into the state of Virginia and I'm on the one highway that takes you out to Virginia Beach at least I knew where I was going Virginia Beach and I had a hotel I'd reserved a hotel I'm gonna go to the hotel first leave my bags catch a quick shower and get to uh, CBN what's the Founders in the whole place where this missions conference was. But the, the hotel wasn't actually near CBN. And I had, had the, 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 the reservation details and the address and everything and the map all laid out. And I get down there and I'm on the highway and realize I left that thing <laughs> at the house. I don't even, I, I, I'm vaguely remembering that that's the name of the hotel. And, you know, you're, you start second-guessing yourself. But I certainly don't know the address, and I don't have the directions, and I don't have the map. So then I had this thought come in my mind. Okay, well, I got time. If I get off at this next exit, I can call Terry. And actually, it was at the office. I'd left it on my desk at the office. I was going to call Terry, have her go to the office, and then I'd drive to the next exit and stop, and I'd call her back again. And by that time, she'd be at the office and could read me the map and the directions. That's in my mind. And I'm getting ready to pull off. And I saw Gene Olin's face. Well, we can pray. And I'm, and I'm in this decisive moment of just a few seconds. Do I get off? Well, we can pray. And I'm like, yeah, pray. We can pray. And so I did. And I went praying in tongues. And I'm trembling. And I'm thinking, half of your brain is saying, you idiot, idiot, idiot. And the other half is saying, I can pray. And I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. 
And I don't even know what exit. And there's more than one. And I'm getting up there and praying and coming up on an exit. And I'm thinking, no, not that one. Don't feel that one. And every time I get to the exit, it's at the one. I'm not, what, you, know, hmm, you know, what is it? Is, did, did, did Gene feel a little twinge? Or what did he feel, you know? And this, all this stuff's going through your head. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. But this peace and the Holy Ghost come up on an exit. And I felt, yeah, that one. I got to get off here. And I, I just knew that's the one. And wasn't even any fear. I just knew that was the one. And I got off on that exit. And I drove down, came up to a couple lights, I don't know, four or five different lights. I had to drive quite a way. Drove right into the hotel parking lot. There's the big sign. I said, yeah, that is where I'm staying. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. It, I bet you I was 10 minutes in that car just looking at the name of that hotel. Just thank you, Gene. I did it. I wanted to, I wanted to jump up and scream, Gene, I did it. <laughs> but I didn't do it. The Holy Ghost did it. But I did it. Because I did it with him, right? And I went, into that, I went into that hotel desk, and I leaned on that desk. Do you have a reservation for a Mr. Armstrong? <laughs> yes, we do. I'm like, I did it. Amen. I got so full of the Holy Ghost, fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost. I, never, I don't think I ever told this part of the story. Then I went to the missions conference. Oh, my, 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 my. Now, isn't that interesting? That's why I know this guy. Because there was somebody there from Bulgaria. Yeah. I even forget his name. He was real famous for a while. And I went into a breakout session with this guy from Bulgaria. We'll fellowship about it and I'll come up with his name. But that's how come I ended up with friends with Larry. I'm believable. I love how the Holy Ghost ties stuff. I didn't even remember that. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Yeah, well, I know, I'm, I know that. I'm preaching until I'm 86. He gets to preach till he's 87. Well, if God will do it for him, he'll do it for me too. So I got so into the Spirit because I realized, and I want you to catch this, I saw what could be done. Then you get a victory. Sort of like leading somebody to Jesus. You ever led somebody, the first person you led to Jesus, weren't you nervous? I was terrified, thinking if I do it wrong, he'll go to hell, you know. I mean, it's scary to lead somebody to Jesus your first time, but then after a while, you get confident. How about first time you got, led somebody into baptism of the Holy Ghost? Amen. I mean, that's, it's scary. It's, you're nervous about it. And if you have never done it, shame on you. Go out and get somebody this afternoon. You've got to get over them marks. You've got to get into being fruitful and productive. It's not, once you get through it, it's sort of like... Riding a bike, you can't, you can't fall off after a while. I mean, this is how you get filled with the Holy Ghost. And you develop a certain level of confidence. It's not even faith. You're just comfortable. It's like wearing a, the, the, the clothes fit. You're comfortable doing this. Now, faith's in that, involved in all that. Well, the same way when you get a victory under your belt, well, you, you realize you're more inclined to be able to do it again. Right? And I'm just praying in the Holy Ghost. I went to this conference, and I'm standing in line. There's this huge line, like 20 people. And, and I don't know if they just didn't have it well organized or what, but people were a little bit frustrated because they're waiting so long to get their little badge and their packet. And I'm at the end of the line, and I'm just sitting there. And uh, I forget the guy's name, but I'm, I'm, I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. And about four or five up in front of me is this real tall fella. 
He's wearing a cowboy hat. He's got cowboy boots, so I know he's, you know, from out there somewhere. Either that or he knows Bob Hawk. Bob used to always have cowboy boots on. You still wear cowboy boots? Yeah, I thought so. Never understood why. But anyhow. I'm praying into the back of this guy's head. I don't know how to explain this. I'm just, for some reason, I'm focused on this guy. He's the biggest one in the line. And I'm just praying into the back of his head. I'm praying in tongues for about 15 minutes as we get closer to the front. And he is standing in front of the table getting his little packet and stuff. And I just knew his name was Fred, and I forget his last name, but I knew his last name. So I'm thinking, what's that? I got a name, a first and last name. So I just said it out loud. Let's just say Fred Smith. I forget what it was. It might be in my journal. Hey, Fred Smith. And he turned around. I about fell down. There's depth to the spirit. There's depth to the spirit. Brother Hagen used to teach that Pentecostals back in the earlier days used to do more experimentation with the Spirit. He talked about how they would just experiment with things. Somebody stole the farmer's tractor. So they'd just share it among the prayer group, and, and they'd go off on their own just lay in the hay mouse somewhere and just pray in the Spirit. Just see if the Lord would show you where it was. Just practicing. And sometimes they wouldn't get anything. But sometimes... One, I think it was a tractor was stolen. Somebody in, in Brother Hagin's little prayer group, they're off doing experimenting in the spirit. And the Lord gave them a vision, showed them where the tractor was, where they'd stole it, where they hid it. And they got the tractor back. Just leave that with you. And I think some of you younger folks ought to take the burden of going further with things that others have testified about because it opened up your capacity and 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 why not why not i don't know we've got between now and 86 i got 30 years to experiment amen now this is really not what i was going to preach on but larry's messed me up Gene taught me by example, just the same way Jesus taught the disciples by example when he spoke to a tree. And when he spoke to the tree and said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, 12 men heard him, right? And then later, passing by, they saw that tree Dried up from the root. So the words were working in the unseen realm before it manifested in the natural realm. And Peter, calling Jesus to remembrance, I mean, Jesus isn't even paying it no mind. Which means, I don't know about you, but have you ever prayed for something in your own body and you're tempted to look? Jesus didn't even look at that tree. Right? He's just not looking at the tree because he gave the command of faith. But Peter saw the tree. 
He says, Master, look, the tree you cursed is withered away. See, that's another area where a lot of people don't realize the negative words you say are curses. There's a difference between swearing and cursing with bad words and cursing. Well, that boy will not amount to anything is a hundred times worse than using the F word. Somebody says, oh, the F word is a curse. No, saying that boy won't amount to anything. That's a curse. Speaking negativity to something is a curse. Some things need cursed. I remember attending a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was their second service. Dr. Ken Stewart started a church. And there was already several hundred people. And the children's minister was a guy by the name of Willie George. And it was a hot church. But when you went to the church, which was in a mall complex, you had to drive by a pornographic theater, a drive-in porno theater. And there's a second service, and I, you know, everybody sees these big signs and advertisements for all this pornography. So we get in there, and Dr. Stewart gets up in the pulpit. It's the second, second service of the church. He says, I'm tired of seeing that porno sign out there. And we're just not going to put up with that. Let's just, that whole congregation move this way. Now point in that direction. Say, I curse you in Jesus' name and command you to burn down. And burn down that week. Amen. There's some things need cursed. Amen. I was working for my brother who broke his ribs. So I filled in his position in a sawmill in the middle of January, and it's hard work. And I needed the money, and he got his ribs broke and knew I needed money, so he asked me to fill in for him. So I filled in for him, and after one day of work, the next day I could hardly get out of bed. I'm thinking, Lord Almighty, I don't really necessarily like this, and I'm out there working hard. If you're not working hard, you're freezing your, your, your nose off, and then you'd work hard and sweat, and then you'd freeze even more. It was rough. It was a combination of hard work and bad weather. And I'm pulling boards and slabs off of this saw that's, you know, big, big buzz saw cutting trees that's run by this uh, diesel engine. Might have been gas. I don't remember. And that engine's, you know, driving a belt that's running a saw. And I looked up at that thing and I said, I curse you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> And I repeated it about 15 times, and that thing finally sputtered and quit. And they thought, well, you know, it's out of, out of gas or something, and where they, they monkeyed with it for a while. Never did get it running for about four or five days until my brother came back to work. <laughs> and I thought, well, I don't know, that's kind of stupid. I just cursed my own job. <laughs> but there's power in words. So Jesus told all that story and didn't get to the point. He's got this example. You can't get a better example than one in living color right in front of you. you got 12 disciples who have seen a living tree cursed by words, and now it's dead, and it's in front of them. They could reach out and touch it. He could have said, hey, boys, gather around and put your hands on this tree and touch it. I want you to remember this for the rest of your life. See? Look. But he didn't. Most people miss this. What did he do? He said, boys, what's done to this tree? 
Look at this mountain. Lift your eyes up. See what's been done with this tree? No, no, no. Look at the mountain. Bit bigger than a tree. Right? Lift, elevate, expand. Make it, make it larger. That's why I, I just want, I've been so impressed and God's been dealing with me. My prayer requests are too small. It's not that I'm not asking enough. I'm asking for small things. Ask for big things. Big things. You can pray for your kids to be healed. You can pray for your kids to, to, to have wisdom. Then you can pray for Donald Trump to be healed and for Donald Trump to have wisdom. And we just don't think God would answer the prayer. That's why we don't ask it. And people say, well, I don't, know, I don't know why I don't pray for my president. Because you don't believe you can make a difference. You don't believe in your ability to pray and get an answer. Lift your eyes off of the fig tree and up onto the mountain. Lift your eyes off of the biggest miracle. Think of it right now. It's the biggest miracle you've seen in your entire life. That God's used you in or you were there. And God wants you to lift it up higher. Expand it and make the capacity larger. And with Gene, he he. he demonstrated that a man could pray and find something in a city that in the natural, you're not going to do it. But with the Spirit, you can. Then years later, I had a missionary call me from Greece. And I'd told him before he left, he's a young man, the Spirit of God came on me, we were at a conference in Ohio, and and I knew he was heading off to Greece, and it was his first assignment, kind of on his own. He was, he was nervous, and he had a big responsibility ahead of him. And uh, I told him, we, we, we were up late fellowshipping, and I think we got back to the hotels two or three in the morning, and his, his room was down the hall a long ways, and he, he, I'm at the door getting, going into my hotel room, and he's got to walk down the hall. And as he's halfway down the hall, I'm still I'm watching him walk away. And I stopped him, and I called him, and I called out his name. He stopped around, and I said, hey, you ever get into trouble? I said, you call. I'll be on the first plane. I'll come. And uh, he, he just kind of looked at me and said, well, th- thank you, you know. I mean, it, and then I went in the room. About a year later, uh, early in the morning, I get this phone call, and he's on the other end of the line, completely out of control he'd gotten into trouble and he needed help and I said he said all I could think of is what you said to me in that hotel does that still stand I said I'll be on the next plane and I hung up the phone I said Lord that's going to be expensive and my hand is still on the receiver and it rang it's early in the morning I picked it up it's his mother and I guess he'd called her before me and she, she said uh can you help him? He said he was going to call you. I said, yeah, he called me. I said, I told him, I'm going to be on the next plane. Oh, thank God for you. Where do I send a check? I said, praise the Lord. Thank God for mothers. You know? So, so I had, you know, I had the money to go. So uh, on the phone, before I'd hung up, I'd written the address on a piece of paper. This is back when you used paper. I used my phone now, you know? And, uh, I put it with some, my stuff and uh, the address. Got on the plane, flew to, to Greece, and didn't know uh, 
I didn't really even know until I started to land that there had been a change. There was some emergency, either weather or something. And I guess there's two airports. And they changed the airport. So the directions I had were from one airport of what bus and where to go, but now I'm landing at a different airport. And, it's, and I'm landing, it's late at night, like, like almost midnight. And I landed in the airport, and I get out, and I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm going to have to call him, because he's waiting for me at the wrong airport. Or if they've told him he's coming here, and I'm looking for him, and he ain't there. So I'm thinking, he's probably at the other airport. Or he knows I have the address, you know, and I'll go there. So maybe I should call his apartment first. So I look, start looking for this piece of paper. I can't find it. I've lost his phone number. I've lost his address. I've lost the bus route from a wrong airport. I'm in Greece, and all I got is his name. And I'm thinking, well, maybe. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Things go through your mind. Maybe he'll call my wife or, you know, what, what am I going to do? And I get out onto the sidewalk thinking, well, I'm going to have to find a place to stay. I get out on the sidewalk and I'm thinking, I don't really have money to book a hotel anyway and I'm really not tired. And I get out on the sidewalk and I see Gene's face. And I'm thinking, why not? I ain't got nothing to lose. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to sit on a bench in the airport or I'm going to find a hotel. I mean, why not see, see Greece? <laughs> right? And uh, Athens. So I'm standing there and there's all these different buses. And I just did the same thing I did when I was going to Virginia Beach. I just started praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Spirit. Walk by the bus door. Just keep walking. I prayed there for quite a while until I thought, I'm getting on this bus, and I felt good about it. So I got on that bus, and I rode for a while praying in tongues, and I got off the bus. And I walked for a while and jumped on another bus. I think I got on two buses. I don't remember now. It's been 25 years ago. And, and, uh, Finally, I got, off, I got off that one bus, and I just started walking in a general direction. It felt good. Well, I'm a, I'm a young man, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just, I got to stay up all night anyway, right? Praying in the Holy Ghost, walking on the sidewalk. And I'm walking and walking. I felt good. Finally, I'm walking, and I saw this park bench. And I saw that park bench, and I am tired. I walked a long ways. And I thought, I'm just going to sit there and rest. And it just, that park bench just kind of drew me. Not that one over there or that one way up there. This one particular park bench. I sat on that park bench. And I'm out there worshiping the Lord. You know, it's good to be with Jesus. I'm going to have a good time whether I find him or not. And nobody knows how crazy this is anyway. I mean, nobody's, you know, what I'm saying. I'm just having a good time with Jesus. Praying in tongues. And I'm looking at this hillside of, of little streets that meander like this. And, and these tiny houses are not real big, and they got all these different porticos and things. And there ain't too many lights on, not, not many at all. There's one light above a door that's about two-thirds of the way up that hill. And I'm sitting there looking, and I just start praying over that light. And I'm praying, and I'm praying. I can't get my eyes off that light, that one. And I don't know how long I was there praying, but finally I thought, why not? Why not? 
So I just take my suitcase and I walk up that hill. And I get up, that's the light. I'm sure that's the light. And I walk up and knock on the door and he opened it. <laughs> and I ain't making that up. And he couldn't understand how come I was so excited. I mean, I was, I, I was, I don't, he's, he's having troubles. <laughs> he wanted sympathy and comfort. And I'm like on cloud nine. You don't understand what just happened. I realized the capacity's there. The necessity was there. Don't forget that aspect. You can't play with it. I mean, you can experiment with it, but you can't play with it. There's a difference. And you've got to understand when it don't work. Or it's not what, it, 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 you can't even say it don't work. When it's not clicking. Uh, that capacity keeps expanding. So then, uh, I don't know what year it was, Bob would know he was pastoring in West Virginia, and I was preaching for him. We got a call that Gene Olin had disappeared in Romania. And his family was concerned about it. And I knew immediately I was going to find him. I just, I knew it in here. So we got Bob and Sharon bundled me off to the airport in Pittsburgh. I got on a plane. I flew to Romania. Nobody knew where he was. Didn't even know what city he was in. I got into uh, the, the capital, got a room in a hotel, praying in the Holy Ghost. I had one phone number, which was his old phone number. Kept calling it, no answer, no answer, no answer. Kept calling the phone number, no answer. I'm in the hotel, there's no answer. I go to sleep real early in the morning. You got to understand the miracle power of God, because I don't do real early in the morning. <laughs> Ask my wife, this morning was a good example. But real early in the morning, I woke up just bright-eyed and fresh and the Spirit of God on me. And I sat up in bed. And when that happens, I always know something's up. And uh, sometimes I feel like somebody's been in the room. And I don't know if it's an angel, but it feels like somebody's been in the room. And uh, I just knew, I'll call him now. So I got the phone out, dialed the number, and a woman answered. And she had... She's Romanian, but she knew a little bit of Russian. And between Russian and broken English, I said Gene Olin, and she got excited. And, and she, she started talking a little bit, was able to connect with her, able to get the information from her. And then I flew to the city, or took a bus, I forget, I think it, I flew, and, and got there and, and, and met two women in the airport. And one was an interpreter, and he explained to me, that this woman had gone in to, to clean and search for his passport because he'd been beaten up. They'd been keeping him in another village. And uh, when he got beat up, they, 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 he didn't have any identity on him. And so the Romanians just thought he was a street homeless person and had him laying in a hotel hospital floor for days. And uh, they didn't have any contact information, these two old women. They didn't know how, how to do anything. And then some scrap of information came to them the day before, which would have been the day I arrived, that put them onto the apartment. And two and two were put together that this guy that was in the hospital was this guy that wasn't paying his rent. And so she went in to search the apartment to find out. And she was only there for like 15, 20 minutes. And the phone rang, and it was me. The God could wake you up in that window when that woman is searching the apartment 
And I was able to get him out of there. And uh, hallelujah, the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. He knows, doesn't he? And I, I, I believe I, 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 that capacity can be developed in you. See, all of that from that one verse. If you see me, see these things. You've got to see what God wants to do in the Spirit. You'll pray in tongues for hours just to get one glimpse. That's all right, because that one glimpse will change everything. A lot of times I have met people, and I'm like, I've met you before. And they're like, no, you never met me. And I'm like, yeah, I know I met you. No, you never met And then later I realized I saw their face when I was praying. And, 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 and it leaps up in your spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit is so vital. I can't emphasize it enough to fulfill the call of God that's particular and, and peculiar for your life. Because when you pray in tongues, you're praying out the mysteries of God out of your own spirit that God put there in the first place. The plan that he has for your destiny is written on the inside of you. And you pray that out and you literally pray out the road you're supposed to walk on. So, so it came to pass as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them asunder, went between them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Saw a painting where Elijah's in a chariot going up to heaven. It's like, read your Bible. Elijah didn't go up by a chariot. The chariot went between them and split them apart. Elijah went up by a whirlwind. Jesus didn't go up to heaven by a chariot. Jesus just went up. Amen. Uh, and he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he rent them in two pieces. Why? Because he didn't need his clothes anymore. He had better ones to wear. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Now, if that doesn't tell us that you ought to come up to the level of, of the one that you're under immediately, I don't know what else would. Because it also ought to inspire you to, to serve in a capacity as servant for a period of time as the Lord dictates because the reward is that double portion. I mean, Elijah didn't waste five minutes to take the mantle that he, he, he walked in it. Amen. I believe in the impartation of the anointing. I believe in it. I don't know if Alan Erickson will remember this. I don't know if I even shared it. But I mentioned that how many years ago you came up forward with the arthritis and God healed you? This early 90s. 93? Well, the part of that story, because there were about seven people that came up, seven or eight. There was the woman with the, the wires in her jaw. She had six or seven wires in her jaw, I forget. Somebody had, had punched her. She had a glass jaw, and they put these wires in her mouth. She wasn't even born again. And I saw her in the service, 
And when and I and I was so compassionate, I gave a I gave an altar call to be born again. She didn't come up. And and I was asking the Lord what to do, and the Lord said, "Well, have a healing line." And I thought, "Well, yeah, God will heal her, then she'll get saved." And that's exactly what happened. So when I had the healing line, I think it was seven people came up, and every one of them had instantaneous manifestations, including the woman with the wire. She she went out on the street. She got she panicked. And uh, my assistant, Bruce Latterby, went out on the street to, to minister to her. And she's like, you don't understand this, this, this. You don't understand. I don't believe in this. She kept saying that. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in this. She said, my jaw is smooth. My jaw is smooth. She went out to Bruce's uh, uh, Amarok Wildlife Center the next day. And while she was there with the youth group going through a ropes course, uh, all, the, all the wires literally fell out of her jaw. They, they didn't pull them out. They fell out. They're not supposed to fall out. And it was a tremendous miracle. Alan's healing was a tremendous miracle. I mean, he's swollen all up and in pain. Thank God for the healing power of God. But I don't know if I told Alan this. I don't even know if I told any of those people that. I had just come with my wife from Edmonton, Alberta, in a meeting with a preacher who, I mean, I was invited by another pastor to go to the meeting. I really didn't like the preacher, so I'm not even going to tell you who he is. And I'm ashamed of that. But he, 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 he preached a strong message on the anointing. And then he, he talked about, come forward, pastors, and I'm going to lay my hands on your hands. Because I, I, I'm going to ask God to take the healing anointing of my life. He's, and, he, and it's going to be imparted into your life. He says, I want you to believe because I've had so many meetings in my ministry where everybody gets healed. And he kept emphasizing that. Everybody. Come up. And I, I had, you know, the devil uses offenses to keep you from receiving. And I had offenses that I almost didn't go up. But I'll never forget, I went up. He had everybody, there's, I don't know, 20 or 30 pastors. And we laid our hands out like this. And he put his hands on top, and he asked God, put the healing anointing on my life into these hands. And I flew from there with my wife. We went back. Now, maybe we did drive. I don't remember. Came right back to Titusville, and the very first service, seven people that came up, and, and almost all seven were really serious cases, like Alan and like the woman with the jaw. And it, I think it was the first time in my life I saw 100% healed with instantaneous manifestations. Bang. And it just shocks you. I believe in the transfer of the anointing. I don't have to have the experience for that to be an example. I've got the example right here. But it helps. It helps. It, and, and it expands your capacity to build faith and to rise up to that. So we're, we're wanting God... Not for anointings to decrease, but for anointings to increase. But if we're honest and we look around and we listen to our elders, it appears or it seems like things have decreased. It's one of the things that really bothered me the last 10 or 15 years. A lot of the healing movement that was going on in the U.S. majored on minor things. I'm not against someone's stub toe being healed. But, but 
let's everybody raise our hands how many stub toes were healed tonight you know it's like all right well if I stub my toe I want it healed and I'm gonna pray for it but but I, glory to God I want to see blind eyes open I want, I want to see crooked legs made straight I want to see people popping out of wheelchairs right and, and, and you're not going to see that if you don't focus your faith on what's impossible. But these things are possible. And the younger generation needs to know ministry without the supernatural isn't ministry. Amen. There's no distinction between that and the Mormons. But there is a distinction. And it's the Holy Spirit. It's the, the reality of salvation. It's the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's the move of the Spirit. It's the power of God. We cannot afford to lose the power of God, and we will unless the next generation demands it. And the next generation should demand more, should have the audacity of faith like Elisha to say, I want a double portion. Now, you might be asking a hard thing, but if you see, and you can, if you see it, it's yours. And, and I know, and I thank God for it. Terry, the other night, I guess it was Monday night, we were driving home, and she's giggling. She says, I love it when sometimes you look like Brother Hagen. And I'm like, what? And she said, you were even twiggling your fingers like Brother Hagen. I said, you've got to be kidding me. No, I was not. She's like, yes, you were. And I'm like, no, please. No, it's not true. And then I realized, well, you know, you watch somebody for so long. You know, you absorb it. I guess I shouldn't complain about it. It's a good thing. I I still remember just, I guess I was 19, and I went out there and sat in the prayer and healing school all summer of 1983, every service from April till the fall. And every service I came in, and there was a reserved thing on the chair for the usher. And I just took it and I moved it over. And I sat because it's closer. And the usher would come in and say, you can't sit there. And I said, try me. And he finally, I did. I sat on the corner seat. And he'd sit, break the rules and sit there. And Brother Hagen came in that first time when I was on the corner seat and could, wouldn't stop looking at me. <laughs> And I watched him, and you ought to watch your pastor. You ought to watch those that minister to you because there's things you can learn by example that you'll learn no other way. How to be bold, how to pray bold. I always love to watch Lester Sumrall. You know, and I think, you know, his son Frank was telling me how his dad would still practice in front of the mirror when he was old. Isn't that interesting? He's preached how many years and he's still practicing in front of a mirror? <laughs> That's pretty powerful. I don't know. I guess basketball players practice until they retire. They don't, probably don't quit practicing. Right? I mean, that's something to think about. Hallelujah. Well, I know I've probably preached too long. So, where did we get out of this? Absolutely nothing from my six pages... <laughs> of notes of the sermon I wanted to preach because Larry messed me up. <laughs> Six perfectly good pages of a wonderful sermon. 
that I didn't preach today. So let's stand up on our feet. Man, I want to know your birthday when you turn 87. So I'm going to put it in my calendar. I can do that with the phone now, right? I'm going to put that in the calendar. I don't know your birthday. You don't need to tell me. And uh, we're going to do a seminar somewhere, I guess. Glory to God. I wonder where it'll be. Hey, let's do Tehran. You want to do Tehran? Tehran would be good. It probably ought to be like the sixth or seventh time we've been there, though. That's too far in the distance. Thank you, Lord God, for the day. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. Bless Pastor Bill as he comes to minister to us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.